Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we're going to cover a pretty important topic for those looping or contemplating looping, and that is AEDs aboard. And those, of course, are, um, well, we'll learn a lot more about what those are and what they aren't today, but those are uh, the portable AED devices, the defibrillators that you see around and, of course, are available for boats. So we've got Mike Marsiglia. He is with Chesapeake AED, and he's going to fill us in on the do's and don'ts of AEDs aboard. But before we bring Mike into the conversation, as I always do, I wanna take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with the business out of the way, I'd like to officially welcome Mike Marsiglia with Chesapeake AED. Mike. You are a, a member of AGLCA and uh, answered some questions in our forum recently about this. So I wanted to have you on to really cover this topic because it is an important thing that loopers need to know more about. So thank you for that. Um, start off, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and um, how you came to become uh, so well-versed in AEDs. Well, uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It is an important uh, subject. Uh, my background is uh, I was a uh, lieutenant firefighter paramedic with uh, Anne Arundel County Fire Department here in Maryland for 25 years. Uh, I worked at the emergency room for eight years at a local hospital. And in 2003, uh, 2001, I retired. And then in 2003, we opened up Chesapeake AD Services. Uh, I've been teaching CPR and first aid probably for well over 30 years. And I have a lot of experience in teaching, but also in doing so. Uh, that's my background. Uh, my boating background is I've been boating for, oh, probably like most people for a very long time, or some people maybe not. But uh, we, uh, we live here in, uh, on the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland, and we have a 40-foot cruisers uh, uh, express motor yacht that we plan to use to do the loop. We haven't done the loop yet, but we're planning to do the loop. So uh, my background is basically in emergency medical services, and, that, uh, uh, and that's how I got started. And actually, uh, we did the first uh, study on AEDs back, oh, probably now 30, 35 years ago. So I've got a lot of experience in it. Yeah, and AEDs have been around for a while now. And I think, um, like anything else, the technology has changed a bit. And I think that led to some confusion, possibly, in the recent forum thread about it, uh, about, you know, some of the perhaps earlier AEDs versus today's AEDs. And, you know, I can personally attest to the, the fact that uh, a member's life was saved at one of our events because another boat at the dock had an AED. Another member um, was able to come to his rescue at one of our rendezvous, a fall rendezvous a few years back. So it's really uh, something that all loopers should consider. None of us is getting any younger. And we're a lot of us are in that age group where, um, you know, the unexpected can happen. So to kind of set the stage for using an AED, talk about first, Mike, if you would, what is cardiac arrest and how is that actually different from a heart attack? And that's a very good question. It's a good, good place to start. Cardiac arrest is when the, the heart actually stops beating for whatever reason. There, there's many reasons why. Uh, it could be things like a heart attack, a stroke, electrocution, drowning, trauma, uh, all those things uh, and many more can cause cardiac arrest. 
Um, so that's when the heart stops beating and you stop breathing. Heart attack on the other side is heart attack is a clogged artery. And it's usually indicated by chest pains, maybe some trouble breathing, some sweating, and even unresponsiveness. But I, I want people to know that, generally speaking, most people survive heart attacks. Heart, most people, they have the chest pains, they get to the hospital, they get some therapy, and they survive. Now, however, there are a few that when they have a severe heart attack, a massive heart attack, they can go into cardiac arrest. But cardiac arrest is the heart stops beating. Heart attack is when they have a clogged artery. Okay. So with that as background, now tell us what an AED is and when it should be used. Should it be used for both of those things or just one or the other? Okay. Now, an AED, it's an electric... It's an electronic device, and it analyzes a person's heart rhythm. The heart, when it beats, uses electricity to contract the muscles. So that, that's what the uh, AED is analyzing. It's analyzing the heart rhythm. And that's done by simply turning on the AED, and then you attach two electrodes, or what we call pads. And once you, once you apply the pads, the AED will analyze that person's rhythm. If they need a shot, and we'll go over that in just a little bit, but if they do need a shot, they will, the, the AED will give you an opportunity to provide that shot. Now, what we do is we put an AED on everyone that is in cardiac arrest and has CPR being provided. So it's a little different from what you wouldn't want to put it on a person with a heart attack that's alert. So what we do is we put an AED on anyone who is having CPR and is in cardiac arrest, and that obviously is when the heart stops beating when they uh, stop breathing. Um, the way you, when you should use it is uh, I highly recommend taking a class, but just for uh, for the purposes of this podcast, once you turn it on, the elect the AED will give you voice prompts, and the voice prompts are very very clear. It will tell you exactly how to use it. So once you turn it on, it'll start telling you, uh, first thing it'll say, make sure 911's been called. Remove all clothing from a patient's chest. That's the kind of uh, voice prompts you'll get. So what I tell everyone, what you want to do, how do you know if somebody should have an AED on, is the first thing you do is check their breathing. And I'll give you a very easy way to do that. You should put your cheek right down to above their mouth and nose and keep it there for 10 seconds. What you'll feel, you'll feel any air is coming in and out of their breathing. You'll see the chest moving up and down or if they're coughing or if they're moving. If there's any movement, we don't put the AED on. But if there's no breathing, no movement, then we will apply the AED. So for lay people, the, the impetus for putting on an AED is to check for their breathing. If they're not breathing, you're putting an AED on. Okay. So how is, so you mentioned the AED will prompt you to um, apply a shock if necessary. How is that different from CPR? Because you also mentioned that you put the AED on anyone who you are doing CPR on. Right. Um, that's a, another good question. It's important to know that when we do CPR, we, we really aren't fixing anything. What we're doing is artificially beating the heart and providing oxygen with our breaths. So we're really not fixing anything. It just buys us time until the AED or emergency medical services arrives. 
So that's what we're doing. When we're doing CPR, we're artificially beating the heart, breathing for them, and we're buying us time. Now, once the AED gets there, that machine can actually fix a problem. It can fix an irregular heart rhythm, which we call ventricular fibrillation. And it makes a little bit of sense when, when I say that a little bit later. But ventricular fibrillation, when that particular rhythm shows up, that does not pump blood. So when we're doing CPR, we're pumping the blood, perfusing the body, and then when we put the AED on it, we can give them a shot. Hopefully, we can we can make that irregular heart rhythm of ventricular fibrillation into a normal heart rhythm. That's the function of the AED is to, to fix that. But again, CPR doesn't fix it. It just buys us time. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're on a boat and you don't have an AED that well, CPR probably won't do anything. But it buys its time and it perfuses the brain and it keeps the tissues in the body from dying. So CPR is very important to do until we can get an AED or until EMS arrives. Okay, so very good to know. Um, so walk us through the process if you're on board or anywhere for that matter um, and you suspect that someone is in cardiac arrest and you do have access to an AED. You mentioned checking for breathing. Um, what would be the next steps? Well, actually, the first step before breathing is what we're going to do, and this hasn't changed, you're going to check to see if somebody's unresponsive. If you notice, I don't say unconscious. We don't use that term anymore. We use unresponsive. And the way you do that is you shake it and shout. Hey, are you okay? Yell that pretty loud. Try to get their attention. You're finding somebody. Maybe you find somebody in a bed that you can't, you know, you can't wake up. Maybe they, you see them just collapse in, in the salon. It could be anything. But the first thing you want to do is shake and shout. Are you okay? Because they may have just had a simple fainting spell. If there's no response, you're going to do two things. You're going to call 911 first, and you're going to get the AED. Calling 911, most times you're going to use a phone. But you can use, a, you can use your VHF radio to get the Coast Guard to get help coming. But usually, if you're close to land, if you're not offshore, 911 works best. But you will have to tell them where you're at because 911, unless you have your cell phone set for the uh, location, it'll give you, it won't give you the right location. All right, so shake and shout, are you okay? Call 911, get your AED, continue to the CPR while turning on the AED. As soon as possible, listen to the voice prompts and apply the electric. So shake and shout. Call 911, get the AD, check for breathing for 10 seconds. If they're not breathing, start CPR and apply the AD as soon as possible. And again, what you're going to do is turn it on. You're going to apply two electrodes. One's going to go to the upper right of the chest, and one's going to go on the lower side of the chest, on the left side, just underneath the armpit. And if you do that to yourself, you'll see that there's a direct line between those two pads. It goes right across the heart. So that's what these, these pads are for. All right. Once both electrodes are attached, don't touch the patient. All you want to do is listen to the prompts and do what the prompts tell you to do. And that's, that's, the, that's the way you use it. Um, there are two types of AEDs, one that's automatic and one is a semi-automatic. The semi-automatic model will prompt you to push push a, check, uh, a shock button. I'm sorry. The automatic model will automatically shock the patient. That's the one we recommend because it takes less time, and we'll get to that in just a minute, how, how important time is. It takes less time to apply the shock. 
for the automatic. One thing I want to tell your viewers, you cannot hurt anyone with an AED. If you put, say you have a, a person that fainted and, and you check for the breathing and they were breathing real shallow and you, you weren't really sure, you've never seen someone in cardiac arrest, it might be your spouse or loved one and you're, you're, you're feeling really bad. So it, it may take some time. So what you want to do is you want to get that uh, machine on as soon as possible and hit that shock button. Uh, the other thing that I say in class is what do you think of when, you, when you're looking at an AED and you have to push a shock button? I ask people, what do you think happens to the body? And because of TV and movies, they see the body, they see the arms go up in the air, the legs go up in the air, it looks like a really violent shock. That's incorrect. The most you're going to see is a little shoulder shrug. But because of that, that, that hesitation, because you know that person's going to get a shock, sometimes people hesitate. So we recommend the, sim, uh, the automatic bottle, and most, most of the manufacturers are going to automatic bottles. I would say in the next 10 years, there won't be any uh, semi-automatic bottles where you have to push the button. So that, that's all great information on the procedure, and we hope that anyone who is interested in purchasing one of these will go ahead and get some training on it so that it becomes kind of second nature to do all of this. Um, and, and also because we know frequently loopers are two people alone on a boat, so if you're underway, you're going to want to make sure that both people know how to use that competently um, because the person who is fine may be the only one there at the moment to attend to the person who is having a, a heart issue. Um, Mike, can you tell us about any statistics there are related to AEDs and any studies um, that talk about their efficacy? This is, this is my favorite part. Uh, they have a study called the Casino Study. The Casino Study was done in Las Vegas, um, and it was done, oh, now probably about 20, 25 years ago. Uh, and the uh, local ordinance made uh, it mandatory to have AEDs in casinos. And if, as everyone probably knows or don't know, there are cameras everywhere in the casino. So they were able to see when somebody collapsed, and they could timestamp exactly what time that person collapsed. Then they can tell exactly what time CPR was started and how long it took to get CPR started. Then they had looked at how long it took to get the AED there and provide a shot. And what they found is for every minute, that someone needs an AED. So in other words, from the time somebody collapses to the time they get an actual shot, CPR and the shot. If they could do it in five minutes, they had a 39% survival rate. If you could do it in three minutes, that jumped to 74%. And if you go less than two minutes, it's over 90% of the people survive. So as I was telling you before, Kim, the reason it's so important on a boat is because of time. By the time, if you're sitting at the dock and you go to get fuel, by the time, if somebody collapses and you don't have a defibrillator, it's going to take probably 15 to 20 minutes for EMS to get there, the Coast Guard, or even longer. So for every minute that somebody needs a shot, their, their, their actual survival rate decreases by about 7 to 10%. So if you do the math, we, generally speaking, have about 10 or 12 minutes before we can get someone back. Uh, after that, it becomes extremely difficult. 
That's not saying that people can't come back after a half hour CPR. They do. But it's extremely rare and it's extremely difficult. So the most important thing is to get that AED on as soon as possible. And I know there's some loopers that have some pretty large boats, but I think everybody, every looper could probably get their AED and actually put it on a person in two minutes or less. So that means we got close to a 90% survival rate on a boat. Yeah, and, it, and it's particularly important. You know, you mentioned the circumstance that you may be at a fuel dock, um, uh, but under the worst circumstance, you're not at a fuel dock. Um, you know, you're underway and right. having to deal with, with the boat and the person. And that's why, you know, yes, they can be costly, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but compared to what you're likely to spend for the loop, it's really kind of a minor addition um, to your supplies and to your, to your medical kit in particular. Um, so the, and those statistics really are stunning, but um, any other reasons as if that's not enough that loopers would want to have these aboard? Well, I mean, I think that's plenty enough. There are other studies on different models and how effective they are, how long it takes to put the pads on. Some models of AEDs, it takes a longer time to put the pads on. They're a little more complicated. So there's studies about that, but that's most that's the only that's the most important uh, study as far as statistics go. So, and I will tell you, I just got an email yesterday. One of our students saved someone. I forget where it was, but it was out of state. They took our course, and uh, six months later, they said that uh, they applied CPR to someone, and they actually survived without an AED. So there's there's an example of somebody started CPR, and they survived without the use of an AED. Right. And that's, you know, um, probably the least you should do to prepare um, in this realm for the loop is at least take a CPR class, um, but absolutely consider these life-saving devices. I want to pause for a minute and play a message from one, one of our sponsors. Um, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about some of the, you know, perhaps special considerations that people might be wondering about if they're using an AED on a boat as opposed to on land. So we'll be back in a moment. Welcome to Beneteau by Invitation. This new concept was born from a very simple idea. Offer your family an opportunity to meet ours in a fun, exclusive, and safe environment that mirrors the way our boats feel. Jump aboard our latest models, go for a private sea trial, and let us talk together about our common passion for the sea. There's a Beneteau by Invitation event coming soon to a harbor near you. So come experience what everyone is talking about. Contact your local dealer, get your boarding pass, and we will see you on the water. Welcome to Beneteau by Invitation. This new concept was born from a very simple idea. Offer your family an opportunity to meet ours in a fun, exclusive, and safe environment that mirrors the way our boats feel. Jump aboard our latest models, go for a private sea trial, and let us talk together about our common passion for the sea. There's a Beneteau by Invitation event coming soon to a harbor near you. So come experience what everyone is talking about. Contact your local dealer, get your boarding pass, and we'll see you on the water. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Mike Marsiglia. Mike is with Chesapeake AED Services, and we are talking about the life-saving devices, AEDs, that can help a patient in cardiac arrest when aboard your boat. Um, so, Mike, one of the things that came up recently in the AGLCA discussion forum was whether there should be any concerns for safety, use, for safety for the, the, um, 
the help provider um, when using an AED on a boat. So first of all, should we be worried at all about stray current from an AED? Well, um, this is this is important for everyone to remember. Um, I try to get uh, there. There was a time when I used to teach MythBusters on YouTube because there are so many things that people have heard, but they're not correct. Now, years ago, we used to use paddles to apply the shock. If you remember Johnny Gage and and not rescue down on one, they would put the paddles on. You put a little juice on. You shake them up, and then you put them on. Okay. Those had some straight current possibilities, okay? But we no longer use paddles. Now we use pads, and the pads stick directly to the skin. Um, I uh, once defibrillated a person who was in a pool. We pulled them out of the pool and put them on the ground. They were still wet. There was water all around, but there was no puddle of water. And I shot that patient with the paddles, and no one got shot. There was no... There wasn't even any straight current. So to say that, uh, to worry about that, in this day and age, I don't think it's a real concern. There is a very, very rare possibility that you could get uh, a shock if you were touching the patient and the machine shocked them. That would be, everything would have to be right because as soon as you're touching the patient, it gives artifact to the AED and then they won't allow a shock. So that would be the only way I think you could do it if it didn't work properly and you got shot and you're doing CPR. But then you wouldn't get anything like the old days. Now with the pads, it goes directly into the skin, right into the tissues. There really is no straight current. And the machine will only shock someone when they need it. So once you turn it on and you, uh, you, you don't touch the patient, let the voice prompts go, there's no... Con- I don't want to say concern. You shouldn't be a concern. You should always want to make sure nobody's touching the patient because not because of straight current, but because of artifact. Now, uh, we used to not shock. Let me just stop you one for one second there, Mike. You said not because of concern for the patient, but because of concern for artifact. And I'm not sure that I, or possibly the others listening understand that, that term in this respect. Very good. Thank you. I I should have explained artifact is what the AED is looking for that rhythm called ventricular fibrillation, all right? If you touch the patient, you can provide artifact in the picking up of the heart rhythm. So in other words, it's like static uh, or it's like squelch almost. It just puts a noise in there and it can't, it can't analyze the rhythm. So it won't analyze the rhythm until that stops. So the way we stop artifact is to make sure nobody's touching the patient. And if nobody's touching the patient, then they get an accurate picture of the rhythm. And if they need it, they'll apply a shot. Uh, we used to not do it on metal. That's no, no longer a concern. If somebody's on metal, we'll go ahead. And, and, and I did see that on forum, something about fiberglass. Fiberglass does not conduct electricity. So, so there's, no, there's absolutely no concern about applying an AED to somebody's on fiberglass. Okay. So you, you've covered the the potential that it's a wet environment and you've covered the fiberglass and that should hopefully satisfy concerns about um, using an AED aboard a boat, like a typical looper boat. Um, What would you suggest someone do if they have someone aboard who is in cardiac arrest and they don't have an AED aboard? Is there a way to know if someone nearby has one, Um, you know, other than calling for help and doing CPR, what are your recommendations? Well, 
what we're going to do is go right back to where we started. First thing we're going to do is if somebody collapses or if we see them, we're going to shake and shout. If they don't respond, we're going to call 911, and then we're going to check for breathing. If they're breathing, all we have to do is monitor the patient until help arrives. If they're not breathing, we have to do CPR. So really, the only thing you can do is CPR. Now, uh, I urge everyone, if you Google hands-only CPR, there's plenty of videos on teaching people how to do hands-only CPR. And what that is, is if you have not been trained in CPR, what you, they want you to do, if you see someone collapse or if they're not breathing, call 911. And what you want to do is just chest compressions. You want to push hard and fast on the chest until help arrives. Now, uh, the, the word got out when we first started this that we no longer do breathing. We still do breathing if you've been tra tra trained in CPR. However, if you have not been trained CPR, you want to do at least hands-only CPR. And then you're really at the mercy of, of time. If the authorities get there in time, hopefully they can help uh, resuscitate the patient. Now, there was a question on how do you know if somebody has an AED nearby? Um, and that's something, there is an application called PulsePoint. It's an application that's used by local jurisdictions, and it will tell you where the closest AED is. You go on the app, and it'll tell you where the AED is. Maybe it's in the office of the marina. But that only works if the jurisdiction has PulsePoint, and it's like a $55,000 program that they have to come up with. So uh, probably the major are, uh, cities have it, but you, you won't find it everywhere. But it brings up an interesting uh, concept for us uh, with loopers uh, that maybe we could put some type of uh, an indication that a boat has an AED on Nebo, and maybe then we would know if there's a boat in the marina or a looper that's close by. I mean, I think that's something, Kim, that you might want to investigate, and I'll help you with that. But maybe we could somehow notify loopers if they have an eel on, eel on their boat, it would be, it would show up somewhere if somebody was in need of one. Yeah, and we don't, we don't have control over Nebo, but it's certainly something I can bring to them and their developers and, and see if there's some way to do that, um, that it would be easily, you know, visible without tapping the boats. That's, that's the part I, I wonder um, how challenging that would be. Um, it, you know, I know when you are out and about and you're in public places, you see signage where there are AEDs. Does something like that exist for boats? Do, do boaters that have an AED tend to have any kind of a sign on the outside of the vessel indicating that they're carrying one? I'm not aware of one. Um, we have little stickers when we sell the AEDs that uh, we put on the doors of facilities. And it says, this facility is equipped with an AED. So we have those stickers, and uh, but I've never seen them on a boat. Uh, you know what? I'm going to put one on mine. Mm -hmm. Now that I think about it, I'll put one of those stickers on my window. Uh, but there, I don't know of any anything now that denotes there's an AD unless somebody would put that on their boat. And that's another interesting feature that may, we may want to look into and, and suggest. But uh, you're right. They do have AD signs. They tell you where the AEDs are. Um, so that would be something that, you know, maybe they could look into if you want to just make yeah. your own sign right. and say, I have an AD on board. Okay. So let's, let's kind of shift the conversation a little bit to, you know, what it really takes, what kind of an investment to own and maintain 
one of these devices. So what's, what's the, um, you know, what should we look for when purchasing an AED in terms of features? Um, and then what is the price tag that's typically, or even a range is fine, but typically what's the cost associated with that? Yeah, I, I'll give you a range. Uh, first of all, uh, I'm not a salesperson. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a retired paramedic that loves boating. So I, 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 we sell the AEDs, but I have my office some. But what I tell people is what you're looking for is all AEDs have clear voice prompts and will deliver a shot if it's maintained properly, no matter which one you use. However, there are some things that you do want to look for. First of all, you want a reputable company. Um, we had a company called Cardio, I, I forgot the name of it. This was about 10 years ago. And they put out an AED that was $1,000, which was at the time the cheapest AED on the market. Uh, you're not even allowed to have them anymore. The FDA took them off the market, the company went out of business. So you want to make sure that you get a reputable company. Um, uh, we, we, we use Physio Control, there's Philips. There's Zoll, there's, there's about eight different manufacturers out there. So first thing, make sure you get a reputable company. And I recommend getting the company that makes AEDs, not TVs and light bulbs and everything else. Buy one that's from a company that just makes the AEDs. The other thing we talked about earlier is the automatic model. I highly recommend the automatic model if you buy one. Escalating energy, we didn't talk about that, but escalating energy, some of the AEDs, they, they, when they give a shock, it's at 120 joules, and every shock after that is 120 joules. They're, they use just one standard of electricity. And the reason they do that is because it's cheaper. But uh, there's several on the market that have escalating energy. That's the ones that I recommend, escalating energy. And to think about it, if you give a shock to someone, and they say that that rhythm does not convert to a normal rhythm, well, if you have to give a second shot, if the first shot didn't work, why would you give the same for the second? So what they do is they have escalating energy. Physio control striker bottle, they have energy that starts at 200, what we call joules. It's just a measurement of electricity. If the first shot doesn't work, the second shot, they escalate to 300. And then the third shot and every shot after that is 360 joules. That is what's recommended by the American Heart Association. So you want escalating energy. It doesn't necessarily have to be 200, 300, 360. The other model that we sell goes 120, 150, and 200, but it's escalating. And then uh, the other thing we talk about is married electrodes and batteries. Some AEDs, the batteries expire one time and the electrodes expire another. Both electrodes and batteries have expiration dates. So if, you're, if they're married, what we call married, the electrodes and the batteries expire at the same time. It's less maintenance, it's less worry. So try to get married electrodes and batteries. And the last thing is the ongoing cost of maintaining an AED. Uh, some AEDs, the batteries are $400 just for the battery. So you want to make sure that, you know, what is the ongoing cost? So let's talk about the cost. I would say that to purchase an AED for, for your vessel, uh, they start probably around $1,500, and they go to like $2,300, depending on the model and the accessories. The only ongoing expenses are replacing the battery electrodes when they're expiring. And that usually happens in some models two years, some models four years. The other time you have to replace those if you, if you used it. 
say you had somebody on your boat, you put the AED on, and they survive, now you have to replace the AED and the batteries. An example, the Hartsonic Samaritan model that we sell, the batteries are replaced every four years. I'm sorry, the batteries and electrodes are married. They're replaced every four years at a cost of $158. So the only ongoing cost, if you have that Hartsonic Samaritan model, would be $158 every four years unless you use the model, unless you used it. And if you used it, um, I'm, did you say it needs to be replaced at that point? Or not not the eight, just the batteries and electrodes. Okay, gotcha. Um, so really the ongoing cost to maintain isn't too significant. Are there other, uh, you know, maybe not costly, but other types of maintenance that are required on the units to keep them operational? Yeah, these, these uh, AEDs, by the way, the AED stands for Automated External Defibrillator. If you remember, I said we try to get rid of that rhythm called ventricular fibrillation. That's why they call it automated external defibrillator. Okay. Now, what's nice is they try to make that as easy. These, these machines are designed for people who don't have training. These, these AEDs are not designed for EMS. They're designed for lay people. So they try to make it as easy as possible. You turn it on, you listen to the voice prompts. If you have an automatic model, it shocks the patient if they need it. The only maintenance that maintenance is set by the manufacturer of the AED. All the AEDs that I am aware of, they ask you to check it once a month. And what you're looking for is uh, an indicator that's showing it's what we call rescue ready. It means it's ready for use. So most of them will have a flashing green light or they'll have a flashing uh, black hourglass or something that indicates that that machine is ready to be used. So what you do is once a month, you look at that indicator and make sure that, that, that it's, it's green. If it's red or if it's beeping, there's a problem and you need to contact somebody to find out what's going on. But that's the only maintenance. Of course, you want to keep it clean and keep it dry, but um, that's really the only maintenance that you have to do. Okay, good to know. Um, we've heard from some folks who have concerns about potentially, are there any liability issues with owning or perhaps using a, an AED to try and save someone? Yeah, this is, a, this is really what I'm, I love these, this question because there's so much misinformation out there. People just, you know, they, they just pass it along without really knowing what's going on. So let's talk about it. Since an AED will not shock anyone who doesn't need it, there, there is really no liability because it won't shock someone who doesn't need it. Um, we put an AED on someone who is in cardiac arrest. Well, if they're in cardiac arrest, that's the worst thing that can happen to them. You can't hurt somebody in cardiac arrest. They're already stopped breathing and they already stopped uh, having a heartbeat. So really, the only thing you can do is help them. Even if you do CPR wrong, Maybe, maybe you put your chest, you did the chest compressions in the wrong spot, you weren't trained. The Good Samaritan law protects you. It protects you from any liability. Now, um, people will say, well, what if the machine didn't work that time and it did give a shot? Well, I happened to, uh, I went out to Seattle to, 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 do, to observe the uh, manufacturer of an AED. And it's amazing the testing that they do. These machines are 99.9997 something uh, accurate. 
And the only thing that could go wrong, really, with an AED is that the battery is depleted. So you go to get your AED and the battery's dead. Well, that's, that's not, I mean, you should have checked the AED, but what you would do is do CPR. So there's really no liability when using an AED. And because of the Good Samaritan Law, you are protected. Every state has a Good Samaritan Law. Um, so people always say, well, there's got to be one time when somebody sued somebody for an AED. That's true. There has never been a successful lawsuit concerning an AED. All okay. Right. Yeah. And real, real briefly, I'll tell you why. In order to prove negligence, you have to prove two things. One, you have to have a duty to act. A duty to act means if somebody goes to cardiac arrest in front of me and I'm a paramedic, I have a duty to, to do CPR and save that person. All right? If you're on your boat, you don't have a duty to act. You're just a layperson. The second thing is there must be <clears throat> damage. And again, like I said, if somebody's in cardiac arrest, you can't damage the third thing you have to prove is that there were that you did something completely like like maybe you stood on a patient's chest to do CPR. You know, and nobody's ever heard, heard of anybody doing that. But you have to prove all three things, and if you don't, you can't be you you, you won't be successfully sued. So that's why there really is. I, I like to say there's no liability. I guess you know somebody could challenge that, but basically there really isn't a liability. Use the AED, save the person. Yeah. And, and those are our perfect final words for this conversation, Mike. Um, Mike Marsiglia with Chesapeake AED Services. Um, very important stuff. I think you've done a great job today of dispelling some of the fears that uh, for misuse or liability or anything along that line that people may have surrounding an AED. And also um, done a great job of, of explaining to loopers and other boaters why this is really an important life-saving device to have aboard. So Mike, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Okay, thanks for having me. One last thing. Yeah. I used to call it AED on a boat the ultimate life preserver. If you think about it, a life jacket or life preserver, that keeps you alive. Mm -hmm. The AED can actually bring you back from being, uh, having a cardiac arrest. Okay, well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here, Mike. And to everyone listening and viewing, we appreciate you being here as well. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Mm -hmm.